welcome to an episode of Beyond Our Borders, conversations with Atlantic Canadians who are impacting the world. Each episode will bring you key insights, tools, tips, and tricks in life and in business from the best and the brightest from this corner of the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Beyond Our Borders. I'm your host, Tanya Shadrawi. He is a musical and lyrical poet who has captured our hearts the past three decades and has collected numerous awards and accolades along the way. He is none other than Lenny Gallant, the pride of Prince Edward Island, and is recognized as one of Canada's best performing songwriters. A recent recipient of the Order of Canada, he joins me today. Welcome, Lenny. Hi, Tanya. How are you? I'm doing very well. As I mentioned, I feel so lucky to be speaking with you today. The more research I did on you, I just feel very privileged. I hope I get to see you live one day soon. Well, that'd be great. (laughs) So I start off my interviews, Lenny, with the same question for everyone. What has been the biggest challenge for you personally or professionally that you had to overcome to be the success that you are today? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yes, because um, no one reaches greatness without, you know, challenges. Well, I think greatness is always a matter of perspective, I suppose. I'm not really sure if I've, if I've been there yet. But uh, uh, there are always a certain amount of challenges, I, I, I suppose. Uh, time is always a bit of a factor in this business. You know, time time to uh, to uh, put towards your personal life and, and time to be on the road, trying to balance that. That's always a bit tricky sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, um, you know it, it, it's it's a lot easier now than it was when I started out. But when I started out, I always wanted to live in this part of the world and still have a career in music. And uh, um, as you as you pointed out, like 30 years ago, it was quite quite a bit different trying to base yourself in on the East Coast and Prince Edward Island or in Halifax and and uh, and travel around. It's it's much more uh, common now, of course, and and uh, more accepted, I think, but uh, you know that that was a bit of a challenge. I think when we started out, mm-hmm. you made that happen. I actually have a question about that coming up. When did you realize that you were a musician? Well, I got my first guitar when I was 13 years old. I got it for Christmas, actually, and uh, I immediately—I don't know why—I immediately started trying to write songs even before I knew three chords. I, I do remember that, and the first few songs I, I wrote were pretty bad. Until I discovered, <laughs> until I discovered a record collection in my uncle's uh, bedroom up at my grandma's house, and I used to go there a lot after school and go through his collection and and uh, and, and try to learn some songs and, and learn the basics of songwriting. I think uh, I wasn't necessarily doing it consciously, but but uh, you know through learning songs by uh, 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 a lot of my my heroes, you know. Uh, Bob Dylan and uh, mm-hmm. Gordon Lightfoot, and Leo Young, Leonard Cohen, people like that. A lot of Canadian songwriters, actually, um, yeah. that that I uh, uh, sort of cut my teeth on on, on 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 learning how to put 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 songs together. And I think uh, uh, maybe some of it came from the fact that my mother was always a bit of a creative soul, and that she uh, she constantly wrote uh, little pieces for the community we grew up in. She always wrote. Uh, uh, skits and mostly quite comic skits, but very creative at the same time. And her and my dad and all of their friends used to put on little concerts all the time at at various small halls. They were the original a small halls festival, I think, in a way in that they they would they would travel the communities, put on shows in small halls to raise money for 
some benefit or other. They just had a lot of fun doing it. And as soon as I knew, as soon as I knew three chords on the guitar and, and put a couple of songs together, I was enlisted and I was part of the part of the show. So, would you say that your family really nurtured this talent in you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say they nurtured it, but uh, certainly played a role in it. Right. You know, as I mentioned, you are the pride of Prince Edward Island. Um, tell me about growing up uh, in North Rustico. Well, I didn't grow up in North Rustico. I grew up in Rustico, uh, okay. and uh, but my mom is from North Rustico. Okay. Uh, I'm from I'm from Rustico, which used to be called South Rustico, and that's another whole story unto itself. <laughs> I'm changing name of Rustico, but uh, Rustico is is uh, one of the oldest communities on Prince Edward Island, and. Uh, it's uh, it was and is still probably primarily an Acadian community, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it's uh, it's a great little community. People are very uh, uh, you know supportive and community oriented. My mom and dad were very active in in so many uh, so many parts of of, of uh, keeping the community alive in little organizations mm-hmm. and, and and so forth. And and so I, I like that about the community. I think. Per capita-wise, it's it's uh, it, it's one of those communities on PEI, and PEI is quite famous for this for being for being uh, very generous and uh, and and worldly aware. I think in, in terms of in terms of uh, helping out those that are less fortunate. I grew up, you know, in, in in that part of the, the world with that kind of uh, philosophy, and and I, and I think it would you know in terms of. You know, nurturing. I don't think it was a, a conscious thing, but I think it, it is something that that uh, I think anybody who grew up in that community would, would feel a little bit of. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, that's my favorite part of the island. It's um, absolutely stunning. I, well, yeah, the whole yeah. island is beautiful, but uh, the Rustico area is my personal favorite. Yeah, a lot of people don't really know where it is until you say, well, it's right next door to Cavendish. Oh, I know where Cavendish <laughs> is, of course. I passed through <clears throat> I know you came to Halifax in the 80s to get your career going. Um, was that hard for you? Well, when I when I first moved to Halifax, there wasn't really, there wasn't any kind of uh, structure at all on, on, on PEI in terms of support for musicians, and, and it was only a budding uh, thing that was happening actually here in Halifax as well. Uh, I know when I first moved here, the East Coast Music Awards and all that stuff wasn't really happening yet. It was just uh, in, in the baby stages. And uh, so uh, people still were of the impression that if you wanted to make it music, you had to move to Toronto or, or Central Canada. And and yet there were some people, you know, such as myself, who definitely wanted to, to be able to live where you know, closer to home and, and still and still make a career. So, uh, right. um, yeah, it was a bit, uh, it's a bit of a struggle, you know. Back then, there were there were no uh, delivery methods for your music. So, consequently, literally, when I put my first album, I was going around putting them in stores myself out of the trunk of my car, kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, your your song "Peter's Dream," which was recorded in 1994 for your "The Open Window" album was voted one of the top 10 East Coast songs of all time. Can you tell me what the meaning behind that song was? Well, it's interesting. You know, you write a song, and uh, and there are times when they just, you know, quite often, in my, in my experience, songwriting is kind of a low, uh, very slow, laborious affair, and, and that 
it might take me days to write a song. It might take me weeks. Sometimes songs will sit around for months before I'll actually finish them. But every now and then, you're given a gift. And, uh, you know, I've talked to other songwriters about this. And you know, Ron Hines says he wrote Sonny's Dream in, in, in the course of about an hour. But uh, Jim Cullen wrote Snowbird in less than an hour. And, and you know, I, I think the idea is that if you're working at songwriting on a, on a regular basis, then every now and then, if you're working at it enough, then every now and then you will possibly receive a gift like that where it's, it almost feels like you're taking dictation. And, and in, the, in the case of Peter's Dream, I wrote it very early in the morning, six o'clock, six o'clock in the morning or so I started it. And it happened after a conversation I had with a, a couple of friends right at the height of the fisheries crisis when it became aware of the, uh, you know, the, the terrible, terrible devastation that had happened in the East Coast fishery and how many communities were going to be affected by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were up late into the night with a bottle of Jack Daniels and uh, talking about this very thing and at my dad's cabin down on, right on, on the shore near Rustico Harbor. I woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, listened to a few fishing boats that were still working at that time, and, and the song kind of spilled out onto the page. And afterwards... I remember thinking, where did those images come from? Anyway, I, I, I don't... I mean, I knew where some of them came from because the last verse you know, it was a place that was very familiar to me when I was growing up. And in Rustico, uh, we used to hang out at the place called Davies at the Harbor, which was quite well-known later in Rustico. And, mm-hmm. and that was a hangout, and that's where people you know, sometimes played music and, and, and uh, into the late night. And so a lot of the characters that show up in that song are, are from my experience hanging around there late at night. But the more uh, the spiritual element of it, I I think that probably came from years ago when uh, I was playing in a, in a traditional music band mm-hmm. uh, called Speed the Plow was the name of it. And we were touring in Newfoundland. And just before that, I came across this, this uh, there was a magazine called Atlantic Insight. And they did a... They did a, a featured piece on an artist, on an artist, Newfoundland artist called Gerald Squires, a very deep and dark and uh, moody artist in his paintings. His stuff was very profound, and I remembered seeing this this series of paintings that he did for Newfoundland uh, fishermen and women, where he had taken scenes from uh, from the Bible, but he instead of using the scenes from the Middle East, he, he used Newfoundland landscapes. And Newfoundland fishers, in the in the place of the of the characters, uh, and, and in the stations of the cross that you find on a on the walls of a, of a Catholic church, mm-hmm. and he, he he did all these amazing original paintings. And when I was over there playing at a festival, I had a day off, and I wanted to see them in person. So I went off in search of the church where these paintings were hanging in Newfoundland. And I ended up finding them out in Mount Pearl, Newfoundland. And I asked the priest if he'd let me in so I could see these paintings in person. And I, and I went in and had my own little personal uh, uh, viewing of, of uh, Gerald Squires' paintings. Now, they were quite profound and very moving. Uh, and I, I think that it's not a... In any way, I never think of this song or those paintings as being religious, but, but I do think of them as being spiritual. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I think there's kind of a spiritual connection between Fisher fishers and fishermen and women and, and, and their connection to the sea and and, and, and nature and the, and the spiritual realm in, realm in general. And when I was writing the song, I was not thinking about that consciously, but after I finished it, I, I thought uh, I wouldn't 
surprised me that that actually was in, in the back of my mind when I was when I was writing Peter's Dream, mm-hmm. and that was and, and maybe that's why the song seems to resonate so strongly with Newfoundlanders as well. A lot of um, a lot of social justice issue themes uh, uh, come through in your music. Um, was is that intentional on your part? It, are you intending to be political in any way? No, I'm not intending to. I just write about stuff that moves me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess I never really thought deeply about it, but uh, uh, when I tried to, I was asked this question before, and, and, and I'd spent a little time thinking about it. And again, I, you know, it's interesting how when you're growing up, a lot of your early influences and your early experiences will affect what you do later. Mm-hmm. And I think about conversations I had with my with my grandmother. I mean, both my grandmothers were amazing people, gone through a lot of hardship and, and survived. But my my dad's mom, in particular, her name was Edna, and she was uh, quite brilliant in that she had a really rough rough childhood. She she uh, started off as a as a child of a, of a of a fox farmer, and then the industry went totally belly up and became quite destitute. Uh, I drank a little bit too much too, but but I think he became quite destitute and, and uh, had to ship his kids off. She ended up being shipped off, uh, and almost the Anna Green Gables experience, being shipped off by train from the western end of Pennsylvania Island to central around to area where she was put to work in a convent as a scrub girl, mm-hmm. and then from there she was shipped off to Amherst, Nova Scotia, to work in a jail, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and where she worked as a as a cleaning woman in a, a cleaning curl in a jail, she got to know a lot of the a lot of the people who were behind bars and their stories and so forth. Consequently, she had a real big heart for the underdog and, and the oppressed. And, and when I knew her growing up, she would always point to the newspaper what was going on in this part of the world or that part of the world. And I remember being a kid, and she would tell me what was happening here and wouldn't this you know a terrible situation and so unfair for these people and so forth. And I think that might a little bit of that might have rubbed off and, and right. ended up showing up showing up in some of my more socially conscious songs. Right. You know, it's a in the music industry, it's a very different world today than it was in the '80s when you came to Halifax. Not to not to date or age you, Lenny. Um, oh, go ahead. Too late now. <laughs> Um, so gone are, are, uh, you know, the age of albums, but, you know, my question is, do you think that the age of the internet and social media and your Instagram stars, um, does that help or hinder musicians today in your opinion? Well, it is certainly different. I, uh, yeah, I moved to Halifax in 88, I think it was 88, 89. When I was wanting to break into the music industry at a more interesting uh, level, uh, and as I mentioned back then, you know, it it, it was uh, very difficult to get your music out there. There were, you know, there were no really distribution systems in place yet, and then uh, uh, it's it, it's it's interesting how a lot of those distribution systems that eventually did get formed are now non-existent because of the fact that people want. Uh, their music, you know, a lot of most people want their music for free through st- streaming services. And it is a big issue right now with musicians in that. There's a bit of a double-edged sword in that. It's great that, you know, you can turn on your, uh, 
computer or your iPhone and just say, hey, Siri, uh, play right. you know, this album by Lenny Bryant, and it will pop up. And if you go to subscription, you're going you're gonna to be able to hear my, my latest album for free. And I say for free because it almost is that, because the artist right. doesn't get hardly anything, you know. And a lot most people don't understand that. There's been uh, a lot of controversy about that lately, that a lot of these streaming services really don't pay the artist very much. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know. If a million people listened to my album, I would make $3,000, you know, so it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really, the problem with that is that, you know, it's hard to make uh, enough money from the sale of an album to make your next album. So you're consequently you're back out on the road again and uh, you know trying to make make your living through live performances, but it is difficult to actually uh, you know make a lot of money from album sales anymore or even make a living from album sales. Mm-hmm. However, on the other side of that coin is the fact that because streaming services are available, it's easy for people to hear your music who may not, maybe wouldn't have stumbled across it in a in a record store before. So there's that True. element. True. And so your audience might expand uh, and more people get to hear your stuff. But I think all musicians would agree that it would be nice if there was a more equitable distribution of the, of the funds that are collected by the streaming services. Right. And hopefully, you know, in the next number of years, they'll correct that because it's a pretty bad situation right now, as most musicians know. Mm. I, I really want to talk about um, more recently the show that you toured in 2017, Searching for Abigwid. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it, it came across to me as more theatrical than a straight, uh, you know, um, concert. Um, can you tell me what the what the inspiration was by for that show? Well, uh, yeah, that was a multimedia show mm-hmm. that I used. Uh, we traveled with a, a, a huge screen that completely uh, took over the back part of the stage. The back wall of the stage was actually a very large screen that we projected images on. And most of the 90% of what we projected up there were, were paintings by my sister, Karen, mm-hmm. who's a brilliant artist, very unique uh, on, uh, on Prince of Rhode Island, quite well known on Prince of Rhode Island. And, for years, I've released 13 albums now, and over the course of 13 albums, spread throughout them here or there, there might be a, a song or two on, on, on this album, or maybe a few more songs on this album that, that you know, might have a, some kind of connection to Prince of Rhode where I do that. Um, I like to say most of my songs are very universal, but, you know, over the course of my career, I had a, I had a number of them that, that spoke of where I'm from, and I some stories, some some little, some very funny and some little more poignant about growing up in this part of the world. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it would be great to uh, to put some kind of a show together that you know I could pull from those songs and songs I've written for other projects, for theater projects and film projects, and put them all under one umbrella and create a show out of it. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, I realized that my sister's artwork also kind of reflected that same that same uh, uh, you know background, and so. Uh, ended up going through her collection of paintings, and I had no idea had she had that many paintings when I started. Uh, you know, <laughs> I would I would ask her to send me photographs of, of you know high resolution photographs of her paintings, and she'd send me about a hundred or more. And I would say, okay, too bad you didn't have more on this topic. And then she'd send me another forty, and it's wow, I didn't know you had these. And then too bad you didn't have more on this topic, like ghosts or whatever. She'd send me another thirty, and we ended up must have had you know, well over 200 or maybe almost 300 of the paintings then. 
that we were using in the show, and uh, they would match up with my songs. And so we song would have some anywhere between twelve and and, and twenty five painters or so mm-hmm. that, would, that would be projected onto the screen. And, and it, it was amazing how brilliantly they matched up theme, thematically uh, her work and mine, even though. I think she's only ever done like four or five paintings to an actual song of art. Um, but uh, basically, Searching for Abergroit was a celebration of all things Prince Edward Island and, and, and connection to Prince Edward Island through my songs and, and her artwork. And uh, the name Abergroit in itself is the original Enigma uh, name for Prince Edward Island, which means uh, cradle on the waves or something, mm-hmm. something akin to that. And and uh, originally we thought we did it in collaboration with the Confederation Center of the Arts, and we thought it would run for one season. You know, uh, we did 65 shows for a season, and I thought I was out of my mind. Like 65 shows, usually I do one or two with PEI. Who's going to come to 65 shows? But they were all sold out. And then eventually we 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 had so much response, we ended up doing it for for uh, for five summers. And then we took it on tour as well, so it ended up being a much bigger success than I ever ever thought it would. It it absolutely looked beautiful and inspiring. I know you had a, a few family members on tour with you. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it was great. I had I had two two of my nephews. Uh, I've got a very musical family. Uh, a lot of my nephews and my niece are, are all very musical. I play and write songs. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, are doing quite well. In Halifax, you have my nephew Matt Steele, and he's got a band, the Corvette Sunset. They do, they're doing great. Uh, another band, Ten Strings and a Goat Skin. I told my nephews in that band, I, I produced their album, their, the first album. They toured the world, uh, playing their music. Uh, I've got a, uh, another nephew is the youngest guy ever to be uh, taken into the military orchestra, uh, based out in Winnipeg, and now he's in, he's in the band. He's a brilliant. Mm. Musician and niece who's writing songs, doing great. She's got a beautiful voice. Uh, yeah, and uh, my brother, and then my brother Danny's two boys were in my show, and and uh, and they've got a couple of other brothers who are quite musical as well. So there's a, a very fortunate that there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of creativity and in, in a lot of talent. Yeah, it's, it. Yeah, I'm 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 surprised that. At, at, at sometimes, you know, I, I think you're going to be hearing more and more from, from some of these up and coming. I listened to your song Sequoia, and it was it was for me it was hauntingly beautiful. Thanks. What are you saying about the environment in that song? Well, I like to think uh, the, the song was written on a few different levels. I mean, on, on one on one level, it's kind of a, of a, 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 a personal song, uh, but on another level, I. I think that it is a song that talks about the environment and I need to connect more with the earth. And, and uh, I just got back. I was down in the, the California for, uh, in the Sequoia Forest a couple of weeks ago. Mm. We, were, we were getting some footage for the video that we hope to make for the song. And, and, uh, and there's something about being in, in the presence of these elders of our planet, you know, these, these trees that are that can be over 3,000 years old. You think about that. You know, trees that are, some of them are, I think, four, almost 4,000 years old, and they're over 300 feet tall. And mm. when you're in the presence of, presence of these giants, uh, it's really belittling uh, uh, in a way, but also inspiring. Um, uh, when, 
nothing quite prepared me. We, we were trying to shoot some footage for a video that I hope will be out early in the new year for Sequoia. And we were there at 7 o'clock in the morning with the sun coming up, and no one else around except uh, uh, Patricia and I were singing the song and our cameraman and guide. And uh, to be amongst those trees and, and, uh, and singing that song uh, at that hour of the day it was it was extremely emotional for me. It took me, it took me a few tries to be able to get through it the first time, actually. So mm. uh, but I think, what does it say? I, I think that if you, you know, I, I think that we need to think a little bit more about our short time here and, right. and what it means, you know, and, and maybe to think a little bit more about the materialistic world that we live in and how we really take care of the planet. Uh, better and and, uh, and be in touch with the planet and get in touch with, with the world around us. I think it's very important before it's too late that we that we learn how to do that because obviously the path that we're on right now is not a sustainable one. No. You know, as you say, we are here for a short time. Do you think that we can better this planet or even save this planet through music and the arts? I don't know if we can save it or better it, but I think it, it certainly seems to be up to the arts to maybe make people a little bit more aware mm. uh, that and that and and and, the, and kids, you know, I think the next generation uh, kind of wake us up a little bit. You know, look what's happening with uh, Greta Thunberg, and um, I, I think you know they're going to have to be the generation that deals with all the right. the, the result. Of, But I think that it is good that much of the artistic world is uh, trying to make a statement and trying to bring people around to to, to understanding. You know, maybe we need to pay more attention to the, to the natural world and uh, pay more attention to how we're affect, how we're affecting. I mean, it's you don't need the natural, you don't need the artistic world to point out anymore. Right. But, right. But it, uh, you know, I, I think that. Artists do have a voice. Uh, people are listening to them, and so if they can use that voice for, for that purpose, it's only a good thing. I read somewhere that you describe yourself as a neo Canuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you mean well, by that? <laughs> it's kind of a joke, really. People ask me to describe my music, and I, you know, Canadians in general, I think tend to be a much more eclectic uh, in the artistic world, and especially in music. I mean, if you look, some of the people I mentioned earlier who, who were my musical heroes when I was growing up, whether they're Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, Joni Mitchell, Gordon Lightfoot, you know, all, all of these people were pretty eclectic in, in, in their music, uh, you know, especially when you look at Cohen and Mitchell and, and Neil Young, I mean, they could go from folk to, to rock to pop to almost jazz sometimes, and, and and I and I love that you know that we didn't we never felt as Canadian artists I think a lot of a lot of Canadian writers and and artists never felt as as as, as restricted as people say to the border you know and south of the border if you're a country artist you do country music I mean people are you know, moving a little bit outside of that now but essentially you got to be careful not to step outside of your boundaries but yet in Canada we seem to embrace a little bit more of uh, being diverse in terms of the way we present ourselves artistically, and and, and I always thought 
I, I can't tell you the number of times people would ask me to describe that music, and I would say, well, you know, there's a bit of there's a bit of roots, there's a bit of folk, and there's a bit of rock, and maybe a tad of country, and I have had a little mm-hmm. bit of Celtic influence in the past, and maybe that's in there too. And well, I got to be you know, tiring calling that. So I said, well, we need a name for you know the way we approach this more diverse attitude in Canada. So I'm going to name it. I'm going to call it Neil Canuck. And I figured, mm-hmm. and, and if you say, and if you say it fast enough, it's going to sound anyway. You know, Nyuk Nyuk. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it was kind of a joke, really. But, uh, but in a way, I was kind of hoping it might catch on. And then I did hear a few other people using it afterwards. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe, I've, maybe I've created a new, a new style. You know. Well, we just have a few moments left with you. Um, I have to mention this, just in case our listeners didn't know this, because I think it's the coolest thing ever, but your album, When We Get There, actually orbited the Earth 250 times on the Space Shuttle Endeavor. Uh, I think this is the coolest thing ever. And that CD was chosen by astronaut Julie Payette uh, to to accompany them on that 16-day mission. And then she actually gave you that CD back that orbited the Earth. Um, I think that's so cool. What did that mean to you? Well, it was pretty special. I mean, when we originally got the call from NASA that told us that uh, Julie Payette was going up into space and she was going to take up a, you know, a few Canadian CDs with her. She wanted to take up one of mine. I was, I was blown away and I was thinking, oh my God, that's, that's fantastic. And it's kind of funny because at the time I was in the studio recording a new album and I was thinking, oh man, uh, She's going to go up into the, on the space shuttle, and uh, right around the time we're releasing this new album, it'd be great if we can get a, an advanced copy to her of this album we're working on at the time, because they needed it well in advance so they could weigh it and everything to be very precise with how much, you know, how much baggage they're taking up and so forth. And and I, and we thought about it, but I had already created the artwork and, and the title for the album, and, and I realized, well, they're going up on the space shuttle. And the album we were working on at the time was called If We Had a Fire. We thought, nah, maybe that's not the best album to send up there. So we, <laughs> so we ended up, uh, we ended up sending the one that, we ended up sending the one that was out, which is called When We Get There, which seemed like a much more appropriate title to send up. And it, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty cool. And, and I, and that was about 10 or 11 years ago now. And I remember, I remember afterwards thinking, man, uh, well, one of whatever happened to that album, you know, because uh, I sort of lost touch with the whole thing, and, and I, I wondered, well, you know, is it still up there? Do we, you know, what do we have to do it? And then, <laughs> and then um, two years ago this spring, coming up, uh, I was invited to a reception in Charlottetown. Uh, it was Julie Payette's first official visit to Charlottetown, and, and uh, I was really glad because I was hoping to get a moment that I would be able to thank her for taking my album up there. And maybe after whatever happened to it, and, and it turned out that part of the reception was the reason for the reception was so she could return the album. And I had no idea that I was kind of a, 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 a guest there for that reason. And she went to the podium and she called me up and she presented me with these two beautiful photographs, which I had mounted photographs one of her and all the crew, and the album is embedded into it and it's signed. And, and then another one is, is a picture of her in the space. Uh, in the space station with a window behind her and you can see the planet Earth through the window and my album is floating in the air so that was uh, that was pretty cool I was um, really cool very, very, I was very very honored and humbled the fact that uh, mm-hmm. my, my music had made it out there 
Well, I mean, funny. just last night I was watching a movie uh, on. Uh, I was watching Ad Astra with Brad Pitt, and they were, and and uh, and the, 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 this, this, they were orbiting the Earth, and I was and I was thinking, oh yeah, my music orbited the Earth, isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> well, how many musicians can say that their their music orbited the Earth? I think it's it's very very cool. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. I make a joke about it. I say my music is finally on finally on high rotation all around the earth, all around the world. Um, what do you? I, I can imagine that a lot of aspiring young musicians come to you for advice. What do you tell them? What do I tell them? Keep your receipts. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do I tell them? I'm, you know, I would say you know. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but. You know, try to be true to yourself and not chasing after, after uh, necessarily after trends all the time. But you know, you want you want your music to be you want it to be hip, you want it to be current. But at the same time, try to remember who you are. Write what, write what you know, and that's not necessarily that you can't go beyond the boundaries of what you know. But I always like there's a quote by Joni Mitchell where she says, "All my songs are true." That doesn't mean they're literally true, but they're emotionally true. You know, mm. in that. All of the emotions expressed through what you're trying to say, like you have, you've experienced that, you know a little bit about it. I think it's a good idea for for songwriters to try and and, and take it as much creativity beyond the beyond the, the boundaries of music. In other words, get out there, see some plays, go go see some art, uh, read a lot of books, uh, learn. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that makes a great piece of prose or a great piece of poetry from from, from the greats, and then you know, and, and use that as a springboard to bounce off and find your own voice. Mm, great advice. Where can we see you in 2020? Well, the next thing coming up in March, I'm going to, I'm going to be playing with Symphony Nova Scotia and at the Repercorn, and then I'm I'm off on a tour of East Coast in Ontario in May, and then summer festivals in South Wales and then Western Canada in the fall. So I'm pretty busy this year. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the symphony show. I love playing at Symphony Nova Scotia. I've done it quite a few times now. And there's nothing, there's nothing quite compares to like, you know, playing a song you wrote around your kitchen table and suddenly you got 50 wonderful classically trained players, uh, uh playing on it. You know, it, it can be quite a powerful experience. I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to that. My very last question is the same question for all my guests. And is that is what book do you recommend and or um, is you know is there a quote that you live by or are inspired by or anything like that? Is there a quote? Uh, the quote I've been using lately in my shows is is uh, is one by Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it's a good quote for the times that we're living in right now, when there seems to be so many world leaders that are that are trying to uh, you know uh, put uh, put out. Uh, very uh, uh, me-based philosophies, you know, and uh, uh, there's, there's so many people who have influence in the world who seem to be uh, uh, propagandizing like hate and misogyny and racism and uh, and, and and you know casting uh, uh, refugees and people who are put in situations they're under control as as being evil and, and as opposed to being desperately needing help. Right. Like, right. There's a wonderful quote by Martin Luther King where, where I can recall it, and I can remember it now. I usually read it with a terrible memory, but uh, basically saying that, uh, uh, and I won't get it correctly, but 
will never eliminate hate. Only love can can only love can uh, can uh, get rid of hate. And, uh, and that's not that's not how it's uh, that's not the exact quote uh, because I usually read it and I didn't memorize it yet, which I should mm-hmm. have. But, uh, but I, I think that's a, yeah. I think that's a beautiful a quote. quote. Yeah, and yeah, very. You can look it up and you can read it. <laughs> no worries, we understand, we get it, um, and uh, uh, very relevant to what's happening today in the world. Lenny, I, you are the pride of Prince Edward Island, but Canada is also very, very proud of you. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I wish you uh, continued success in 2020, and I hope I get to see you live very soon. Thank you very much, Tanya. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate you tuning in. This podcast is produced by Tanya Shadrawi and Michael Boyd through the facilities of Podcast Atlantic. We'd love for you to be part of our conversations. If you'd like to drop us a line, please go to tanyamedia.com. Or if you know of someone who should be on our show that's from our very cool part of the world here in Atlantic Canada, we'd love to hear your ideas. You can subscribe to Beyond Our Borders on iTunes and most Android podcast platforms. Until the next conversation.